bring the heart. It's time to get loud. Let's go! Because this is Betfred Super League. Bring it on. It's a more sombre edition of Eddie and Steve-O, the podcast this week, because the sport of rugby league has lost one of its true pioneers. And we pay tribute now to Maurice Lindsay. Traditionally, rugby league clubs train Tuesday, Thursday nights, and perhaps Friday or even Saturday morning. Um, our guys are nearly all full professional anyway. They have most of the time to prepare in the weight room, etc. And we thought we may as well go the whole hog and perhaps go be the first rugby league club in the history of the game to go full-time. If you're trying to be, have a professional outlook in life, whether it's sport or your business or your own home life, then, then, then why, why be pulled down for it? We believe that perhaps we'll set a standard others may follow, and we shall hopefully all follow the national game of soccer and all be full-time. Well, love him or hate him, Morris, who passed away this week at the age of 81. It was his birthday, by the way, on May the 8th. He revolutionised rugby league in this country, first at Wigan, where he took control in 1980. He guided the club to a record eight successive Challenge Cup wins in a row and signed some of the game's biggest stars. Ellery Hanley, Martin Afire, Jason Robinson, Brett Kenny, Dean Bell, Andy Gregory, Joe Lydon. Good Lord, the list is absolutely endless. League titles were won, uh, so too world titles. He was manager of the Great Britain team as well for a spell. And he was the man who, as chief executive to the Rugby League, led the sport into the summer era in 1996, and with it, a multi-million pound deal with Sky TV and Rupert Murdoch. Tributes have been paid, including this from Ralph Rimmer, the current chief executive of the RFL, who said that Maurice Lindsay was one of the most significant leaders in the game's history. He lived a remarkable life, and rugby league would not be where it is today without him. Well, Steve-O's waiting for us in Australia, and Steve-O, we knew him well for over 40 years, didn't we? I think we'd both go along with those sentiments. Oh, without a doubt, Eddie. Uh, he was a different character, mainly due to the fact that everything he seemed to touch was successful. And when you get a character like that, people say, you know, it's unfair. Why? What are they doing that we can't do? And eight Challenge Cups on, uh, on the trot is a remarkable effort. And he was as famous, if not more famous, than those players that you've actually mentioned. And all the Wigan teams when he was involved at Wigan that's the character of the man it is sad news indeed it is and we've got our own special memories of him I suppose I, I wonder which one for you might stand out I remember a day in Oldham for instance <laughs> when we were doing boots and all we were doing a piece to camera in the wind the rain the snow and you looked down the lens and said what I said, Morris, come on, this is the time. Let us go to summer rugby league. And boy, within months, guess what? We had summer rugby league. Okay, in the early days, it was in February, so we didn't have much sunshine at the start of things, <laughs> but it developed into what I think about. Morris Lindsay, he saved our game, Eddie. We were going down the rattle. A lot of people may argue about that, but we were in strife. I can remember there was estimates going around that when you took into account the combined wealth of the clubs, you can't call it wealth because they were talking about a debt 
of around 40 to 50 million. Now, Morris knew Murdoch and Sky were quite willing to wipe the slate, and not only that, add 40 or 50 million pounds to get Super League underway. And if they didn't have Morris, it would not have happened. I think you're right. And obviously, you talking down the lens that day in Oldham, you you played a part as well. I think that the Keithley fans and Widnes fans in particular, though, will never forgive Morris because they weren't included in the original list of the clubs that were involved in Super League right at the start. It was difficult. Someone had to be the sacrificial lamb. Teams had to do this. I mean, there was talk in the early days that we would have teams all over Europe, that there would be a team in Spain, a team in Italy. Okay, it was a little bit over the top. But, you know, Murdoch and Sky, they were not messing around. They wanted big time. And amazing, a lot of people don't realise that it all came about from when Wigan went on for the club challenge in Australia at Brisbane. And two executives from Murdoch's organisation were so impressed with that game, and it was a classic game. And they said, why is this not on television uh, around the world? And that sent the Super League in motion. And the man to carry on with it and take it through, Maurice Lindsay. I admire the man so much because, you know, we never got what I call the right amount of publicity in the newspapers. Oh, plenty, two, three pages of football. Of course, it's a major sport in the UK. But rugby union, why should they get more? Sometimes, some of the papers, we got nothing. Not one paragraph. And you know what Morris would do? He would jump on a train, go down to London, walk into the newspaper office and say, I want to speak to your sports editor. And he'd say, why? I'd like to know why you are not publicizing what we classify as the greatest game of all. Now that takes guts. And he would just put himself out. He'd even pay for lunch. He'd say, look, you've got to give us the publicity that we need. He wanted every single newspaper in the UK to publicise what you and I class and all the other fans class as the greatest game of all. Yeah, and if you, you look back in the history books, soon after the deal was announced, which was around about uh, Easter in 1995, well, it was all threatened because Morris had said there would have to be mergers. Widnes and Warrington would become Cheshire, Castleford, Wakefield and Featherstone, Calder, Oldham and Salford, Manchester, Hull and Hull KR, Humberside. But then the clubs met again, and such was the ferocity of the opposition from the supporters and the like, the deal was thrown out. But hey, Morris went back to News Limited, dropped the merger idea, and he got the deal increased. £87 million, Steve-O, in 1996. And a lot of fans, especially the older ones, will be asking the question that we've said and asked for a long, long time. Where has it all gone? Well, most of it was given to the players. Now, I read a document which was forecasting the future of rugby league in the UK. And a percentage was for ground improvement. A percentage was for junior development. A percentage was 
making sure that you had a proper manager, that you had certain people to do the training, look after the ground staff, do everything in that. But most of the clubs didn't, didn't do that, Eddie. All they wanted to do was give all the money that we were getting from Murdoch to the players. Wasn't that purely and simply because Australia got the money as well? The war had broken out between the ARL and Super League. And weren't the Aussies coming to poach our best players at, at that time? So that's why they got a, a, a huge percentage of that 87 million. Well, they actually said to themselves, look, we're going to lose all our best players in that situation. Now, I can remember that the Rugby Football League, way back in 1973, banders. They said, you will never, ever play for your country again. And I couldn't. I wanted to, but no. You've gone to Australia, so you're staying there. Simple as that. And that, it was, look, a reaction to everything. They panicked. They were putting Australian clothes were forking out millions here, millions there, and oh... Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? There's a, there was a degree of, of jealousy, I am sure. You know, Morris gained criticism because he stayed in the very, very best hotels. He drove the best cars. And he once said that the man who is chief executive of the RFL can't be seen travelling round on the number 57 bus. I mean, that was the sort of bloke he was, wasn't he? Oh, as a character. I mean, on many occasions, he, he, he would often, especially when we were on uh, a couple of tours with him, Eddie, we would... We were doing the broadcasting down under, and uh, it, it would just knock on the door, and there it was with like a tray full of uh, gin and tonics and, uh, and and beer or whatever. He said, I, "I haven't seen you for a while, lads. I thought I'd, I'd just bring you bring you a couple of drinks." And we'd sit down in the bedroom <laughs> and we'd just talk nonsense, etc. and so forth. He was that type of character, and to the players, Eddie, a lot of the players thought of him like a father. They could go to him. It wasn't like saying, oh, you've got to book in to see me. And it stopped whatever he was doing and pulled him to one side and said, right, we'll fix it. That's the type of man that he was. That's the reason why Wigan, like you mentioned before, eight Challenge Cup wins on the trot. That didn't come about just by getting the best players because you've got to have that solidity. You've got everything solid behind you. The players were behind you. Eight on the trot... It's something that can only be bettered by St. George down here in Australia. I mean, it's an amazing achievement. It is. It's a fantastic legacy. I will just say one thing, Steve-O. I think he was knocking on your door in Australia because I never saw him with a tray of gin and tonics for me. I think you must have been with, I think you must have been with somebody else. I really do. But anyway. Oh, I'd, I'd hate to think, Eddie, that you, you missed out on the tray of just... I, I was left out. I was left out. <laughs> the, the thing is, I mean, sadly, as you, you mentioned earlier, we never quite hit the heights of expectation. You, you're right. We were going to be playing in all the major European capitals. But at least we, we got a start in Paris. Flipping heck, Steve. What a night. The game got over 17,000 people in Paris for Paris Saint-Germain, an unknown quantity against, and with all due respect, another unknown quantity in Sheffield Eagles. It was fantastic to be there. It certainly was, though I must say there was a little bit of negativity. In fact, there was a lot of negativity there because most of those fans were given free tickets. And there's nothing wrong with that because they wanted to make the first game an impact. But the poor people from Sheffield who'd pay their fares to get over there and actually had to pay for tickets to get into the game I didn't think was right 
if it was going to be free for the French, it should have been free for the Sheffield supporters. Now, there weren't many that went there, but even if there was only about 100 or 200 or whatever, they should have been given those tickets free of charge. You got the crowd, you got the atmosphere. It was a great kickoff to Super League. Morris retired from administration um, at the time when... Uh, it was at Super League. He returned to Wigan after they'd moved from Central Park to the current home. He worked alongside Dave Whelan, keeping the legacy going. He even served on the board of Wigan Athletic, the football club. And he was chairman of Preston North End for a time. But he will be forever remembered as the man who turned Wigan into the greatest team. And I think we can say this. The greatest team that Rugby League has ever seen in this country in those golden days. He was a great character. Uh, my abiding memory of him is this. The last time I saw him, it was in my retirement year in 2019 in London. Brian Carney and Phil Clark took me down for a day out with them, allegedly, at a, a restaurant in London. And who was there? Morris Lindsay came round the corner and Michael Parkinson. What a memorable occasion it was. But Morris berated me that day, you know, as he did many times. But this time, because I was apparently at one of the London's finest fish restaurants... And he couldn't believe that I was eating lamb chops. <laughs> he, he raised his eyebrows and he wasn't wasn't impressed. Where, where would where would the game be now without him, if he'd never been heard of? Well, he was the man behind making the clubs accept the Murdoch offer. Not a lot of clubs wanted it. They said they'd take over this, they'd take over that, and we're giving our soul away, etc., and so forth. But they'll wipe to debt of 40 to 50 million and, and start it again. I mean, that process and that document that I witnessed was just amazing. I thought, this is going to make rugby league uh, world famous, not just down under and, and, and every now and again in France, as we've seen later. Uh, and it was exciting times. And, and Morris was way behind it, was saying, we'll be going to Madrid, we'll be going to... But why not? Definitely not. Why not? Tell people and, you know, keep your fingers crossed. We could do with another 87 million quid now. There's no doubt about it. Gary Hetherington said of him, it's the end of an era. Morris had many critics, but anyone who has a strong will and a belief will find people who believe that they could do better. But the profile his Wigan side brought to the game and the chairman himself, they became household names across the country. I think you're right, Steve. I will always be remembered as the man who made a huge difference, Maurice Lindsay. Rest in peace. Historically, we have been the leaders, but I hope that will change. If Rugby League expands nationally, as I hope it will and truly believe it will, I think that we'll be playing in cities like Birmingham and Coventry and Newcastle and London before the end of the century. So eventually, we might have a final at Wembley. It might be West Ham 32, Wigan 33. OK, how... Um, look, we could go through what happened last weekend. Uh, I don't think, frankly, we've got time after all of that because this is a, a podcast that's been dedicated in many ways to Morris. But how fitting is it that his club are now at Tottenham for the Challenge Cup final? And they had the dress rehearsal on Sky at the weekend. Huddersfield won 32-22, but it was a bit of a phony war, wasn't it? There were not too many faces in that team who will be gracing the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I don't think many fans from Huddersfield or Wigan would have taken out their wallet and gone straight to the bookie 
and said, oh, they're odds-on favourites, because they knew. Um, <laughs> it was never going to be the game that we accepted, because they were just getting over the, the furor and the, the sort of happiness of actually reaching the Challenge Cup final. Sadly, it's not at Wembley, but Morris will still be happy that it's being played in London. Absolutely. Um, and I'm just looking down the list of other things we could, and normally on a, a usual week we would chat about. Uh, Christian Wolf at St Helens, he's, he's being a bit cagey, Steve-O, about his future. His contract's up at the end of the season. He's happy enough at St Helens, but he's got options to consider. Now, you're in Queensland at the moment. He's rumoured to be Queensland-bound to join Wayne Bennett at the new club. Uh, the rumour is very, very strong indeed. Um, Wayne Bennett, sadly, is having a lot of trouble trying to recruit for next season a pretty strong team. As of yet, they really have not got two top-class halfbacks. And you know, as every rugby league fan knows, you've got to have a six and seven that can make the team work, make the team just tick over. And I'm afraid he has not got a key player He's gone for quite a few, but I'm afraid they've just turned him down. It's not going to be easy. Even the name Wayne Bennett can't apply to some of these players that say, no, I'm going elsewhere. I mean, it's at the time, and it was only last week, where now clubs can start poaching and, and sort of approaching other players from other clubs. I think it's ludicrous. I think it's stupid. We've said it before. Uh, what does it do for the, for the fan base? It does nothing. How can you cheer on someone that you did for the first half of the season and then you know that he's going to another club? How can you cheer that? How can the young kid who's bought the shirt with a name, what does he do, buy the other shirt for the other club? No, the kid will be disappointed. A lot of the fans will be disappointed. But talking of disappointment, of course, the great Trent Barrett wonderful Australian rugby league player well he's resigned from the Canterbury Bulldogs and today they have announced that Mick Potter will be the interim coach to the end of this year now there are lots of rumour in regards to who's going to take over next year but Phil Gould who's the director of rugby at Canterbury Bulldogs last week stated that Trent Barrett will be at Canterbury many, many years after I have retired from the Canterbury club. And within five days, Trent Barrett's gone. Now, Gould has, got, has not got the best record over the last 15 years because there's been about four or five coaches have been sacked whilst he's, he's been the boss. The dreaded so vote of, people, of confidence. The dreaded vote yeah, of confidence. Yeah, but a lot of people now, Eddie, are saying he's made it so bad that is it going to be the poison chalice? I mean, if, if you were going to be approached and said, come to Canterbury, you'd not only look at the fact that they're struggling with their players now, they're at the bottom of the league table, but on top of that, you say, well, if I sign a four-year contract after 18 months, Phil Gould might say, you've resigned. Now, most people in Australia, they have not been kidded by the fact that Barrett 
has resigned on his on his own will. Mind you, he's got a nice little uh, little check to uh, to say bye bye. Well, that will keep him happy for for a week or two. <laughs> uh, up here, Steve, well, we've had other notable results from the weekend. Catalan now into second. They beat Warrington forty points to eight. Not going well for Warrington still. Hulkingston Rovers, another one. Nilled again, 32-0 at Castleford. Um, we've talked about Tony Smith and the, the argument that, uh, you know, his decision, his shock decision uh, to resign at the end of the season has maybe taken the wind out of the sails at Rovers. He, he closed the argument down, apparently, in the PES conference. He doesn't think his departure is having any effect, I don't think. Well, I don't know what books he's reading or, or newspapers he's reading or television reports. Uh, it's obvious to anyone that's got any brain that since he's announced it, they've gone backwards. Correct. Why on earth would you announce it when you've got an opportunity? This was before the semi-final. They could have gone. They could have gone to Tottenham. They could have been in the Challenge Cup final, and they were playing all right. They were playing some very, very attractive rugby league football. And then he says, "Oh, I'm leaving." Now, to me, straight away, it's not just about the players etc I reckon he must have had some sort of fallout with the club that's the oh, only I reason that's... I can I, that's the only reason I can come to terms with it's ludicrous that you, you're in with an opportunity and look Tony Smith is a great coach I was only looking through the stats you know you were talking you were talking about the way that, that poor old Warrington is struggling with Daryl Powell and I, I thought well I'll look and see how good it was and whilst he was at Warrington, Tony Smith, 66.4% wins at Warrington. Stephen Price, 63.2. And Tony Barrow, 62.9. All the other coaches don't come anywhere near those figures. So that, to me, shows you that Tony Smith is a fine coach. He's a great coach. So why would he want to just throw it in? It was only at the start of the season, at the end of last season, you know, we're building a team, we're building this. He was full of, full of enthusiasm. And then all of a sudden, someone pricked the, the balloon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Some, something's gone on behind the scenes that not many of us are, are privy to. Um, here's another standout result, Steve-O. Toulouse beat Wakefield second win of the season we've said all year they're down are they? they're only two points behind Trinity and three behind Leeds it's a funny old game isn't it I, I, isn't I honestly it? thought I, look I look at their squad and I'm thinking they just don't have the, the class player to avoid the drop they, they, to me that it was impossible but enthusiasm the will to win Sometimes in any sport, when someone says, you've got no chance. No chance whatsoever. And the rest of the team and the coaches, and they'll say, okay, let's give it a good go. And boy, they are doing that. And, and Leeds, they've, look, they've got, they've got to be a little bit worried as well. Wakefield, have, we, know, we, know, we know, because they beat them over the weekend. So you've got to start saying to yourself, when do Toulouse play Wakefield again? And when does Toulouse play Leeds? Now, I don't have the uh, fixtures in front of me, but I think they have to play again, don't they? 
I, I, I'm with you. I've not got the fixtures, but when they do and if they do, relegation for pointers. There's no doubt about that. Steve, well, we've got loads of things we could we could chat to. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about Morris, and rightly so. Um, just like to finish on this, that the IMG link-up with the sport is now confirmed. It's a 12-year agreement. They're tasked with reimagining and redefining the sport's long-term future and its opportunities for growth. They are big players in the sports market. They've got 12 long years to get it right. Um, they need a visionary. They need a visionary like... Um... Someone like Morris Lindsay. That's what they need. But you've got to give a lot of credit to Ken Davey. I mean, he stepped in at an awful time when it looked as though we were all going going down the girdler. And I mean, we've got to support what what happens. But let's not forget, it's what, 18 months since that the Super League employed another company to get us better support, better money, better everything. And it cost us three quarters of a million pounds. And they came up with zilch, nothing. Well, IMG have got 12 years to change it around. Now, I don't expect them to be miracle workers over the next two or three years. But I do hope after 12 years, it's not going to cost us more than three quarters of a million like we did with the last mob and be in the same position and say, well, we've made a mistake again. We've all got to have trust in IMG. My understanding is that they will take a slice of the profits and revenues that they can generate and come in from now. So if money flows in, IMG will take their cut. That's, that's a great incentive. It's like when you were playing. If you lost, you got out. If you won, you got money. I mean, that's exactly it, isn't it? That sounds like the basis of a good deal to me. I do hope that that's the sort of deal that we've got. Look, Ken Davy is a smart cookie. I've always admired the man under a lot of sufferance, a lot of heartache, and I wish him all the best when he goes down to Tottenham. If ever a man deserves to win the Challenge Cup, it's that man. Absolutely. You're right. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's brilliant that Wigan are there in the week that Morris has passed away. It's fantastic that Huddersfield are there for for Ken Davy. May the best team win. I'm just going to end, Steve, on a little note about our pal from the BBC, Dan Walker. Uh, he left Breakfast Television this week. Been a great supporter of Rob Burrow, uh, along with uh, Sally Nugent, who sits or sat with him in the studio. And I'd just like to mention that Rob's book, uh, which has done really well in hardback, is out in paperback this week. So good luck to Dan Walker, and good luck again. And uh, we're always thinking about him, uh, Robbie Burrow, as well. All the best to them. And a good bloke as well. And he loves rugby league. But let's face it. Who shouldn't love rugby league? It's the greatest game of all. As you say, week after week after week. Look, okay, um, next week we've got a special uh, podcast. Lee Breers and Ian Watson from the two Challenge Cup final camps will be joining us. I know you'll be setting your alarm early in the morning to watch the Challenge Cup final, and we'll chat about that the week after it, Stebo. So enjoy the breather from the podcast Treadmill. <laughs> and I'll see you and talk to you in a couple of weeks' time. See you later, top man. And it's still raining here in Australia. <laughs> <laughs>